Welcome to this edition of In the Author's Voice. I'm Jeff Williams. Imagine spending your adult life playing with toys. For Jeffrey Breslow, that's exactly what he did for more than 40 years. His new book is A Game Maker's Life, A Hall of Fame Game Inventor and Executive Tells the Inside Story of the Toy Industry. His book is out today. I had the pleasure of talking with Breslow earlier this summer and reminiscing about the toys that filled the lives of so many kids over the years. This is like the um, the storyboard to my youth. Looking back through some wow. of these some of these things. In fact, it was uh, really funny. I look at the cover of of of, of your book. Yeah. And I, I've got that evil Knievel stunt cycle. Mine's a wow. ni- mine's a 1973. <laughs> I got the stunt cycle, and my brother got the scramble van and yeah, okay. the scramble van did not survive but i still have the stunt cycle and it... it was that it was actually an amazing product i mean <laughs> you know, in, in, in the story i mean we we met evil okay and and my boss at the time marvin glass did not want to do licensed characters he wouldn't do mickey mouse he wouldn't do sesame he thought our ideas were strong enough on their own but we did meet evil through somebody and he was he was such a character. He was like a cartoon character. He came to the Marvin's house and he was had this red, white, and blue outfit with a cape and a handsome guy. You know, I mean, it was like, and and we signed him up not knowing what to do. And, and we came up with a bunch of stuff and we actually pitched it to Ideal and it, it went nowhere. And it was Lionel Weintraub, who was the grandson of the founder. And he'd never heard of evil. Long and short of it, he goes back and he tells his son, who's in his 20s, yeah, you know about evil, and the son knew all about him and everything else. And and they actually had the motorcycle, but they had no rider on there. And so the deal was, we made the figure, we made it articulate uh-huh. that it could hold on and hang on to the bike. And it was the combination of two that made the hit. I don't think the motorcycle or anything else of evil would have done as well. But it was really so. As much as I'd love to take credit for the actual toy. We really didn't do that particular toy. It was yeah. just evil, I, you know. But it was just anybody your age either had the toy or wanted the toy. One of the two. Yeah. Well, we, my brother and I, wore out more than one Rock'em Sock'em robot. So uh, I don't know if that was one of one of, one of yours. So uh, your book is a game maker's life. Um, a Hall of Fame a game inventor and executive tells the inside story of the toy industry. I, I just uh, maybe it's just me and I grew up loving toys and and. There were plenty of toys, many of them hand-me-downs. They were everywhere, and our parents always encouraged us just to creatively and actively play. And, and a lot of these things, I mean, Uno Attack, my, my kids wore out an Uno Attack, a couple of them, um, as they were growing up playing. It just It's so woven. These <laughs> things are so woven into the fabric of my life. I've got to believe oh, that a lot of people have the, it's the same way. It's the same way. I mean, you know, toys serve a real purpose in life. I mean, they really do. And, and you know, we were, this was way before video games, before any of that stuff. So it was really a different period of time. I mean, you know, video games serve a purpose, but it's very solitary. I mean, you know, you're sitting in front of the screen, in front of a machine, you know, but you're not interacting. But, but toys serve a, a very important socializing purpose. And early on, it, it's it's playing with things individually, okay? And then you get to the game period where you have to share, you know, a, a very young child doesn't want to share the toys, but it's part of the process of learning. And most of the toys are imitation of adults. I mean, 
for the girls at that time, it's style play, you know, and mostly it was sure. mother style until Barbie came along in the late, uh, you know, the late 19, it was 1958. And that changed some of the dynamic of it. And for kids, boys, it was mostly cars and construction. And I grew up on an erector set and I, I learned a lot of skills, building skills, playing with an erector set. I thought there was all those parts there. And, and, you know, Lego does the same thing. I wish that was one of our products, but it's not but enormously successful. And they, they made the transition to building actual things, you know, of licensing. But early on, it was just blocks. You know, you had to kind of figure out the thing on your own. But, but toys, a very important part of growing up. I, I believe that. And if you're in a culture somewhere in the world where you don't have toys, you use boxes and you make other things to play with. You know, but play is is a very socializing thing. You know, wow. for... I figure most people have have a perception of of what an executive at a toy company does. <laughs> it, what is it really like on the on the inside? Well, Are you playing with toys all day long? All day long. I, I mean, <laughs> all day long. I mean, you know, people early on said big. You know, the movie uh, mm-hmm. of Tom Hanks. Sure. And he really was a marketing guy. He wasn't a, a toy inventor. I mean, he was he was marketing as that that the role he was playing. But the idea of the, the, the toy industry is like uh, it's a fashion industry. Okay, it, it's like movies, television, books, uh, records, everything else. It's all built on failure, and and we failed. You know, ninety five percent of the time in what we did. You know, you're a movie studio. You make a 20 films, two or three make it, you know, a play, books, records. So you, the one thing about being in that kind of creative world, which the toy industry is, is it's okay to fail, okay? And you brush yourself off and you do it again and you do it again and you do it again, you know. So it's only a small fraction. People think it's very easy. Oh, I got an idea for a toy, you know, or a game. And we never looked at anything on the outside because – if somebody has an idea, they think nobody's thought of it before, but somebody has thought of it before, you know, I mean, more than likely. So what ended up happening in, in the, let me back up a little bit. Marvin Glass, who hired me, invented the business of independent toy design in the late fifties. He tried to manufacture toys. Uh, he kept losing his ass. He said, I don't want to do that anymore. And he did look at the record business and book business back then and said, I want to do that in the toy business. I want to create an idea and license it to a toy company and get paid a royalty. But most toy companies had their own designers, you know, and in most toy companies were started by designers, Mattel, uh, Ruth and Elliot Handler, Elliot was an industrial designer. He designed the toys. So that history. uh, So it was very difficult to go to a toy company and say, I'm going to show you some ideas. Okay. Sign the disclosure. And if you like one, give me an advance and pay me a royalty. If you don't, I'll show you more ideas. And that was Marvin's concept. And the first company that he did that with was Ideal Toys in the late 50s. And he had huge hits with it. And then it expanded on to all the toy companies. And ultimately, the toy companies only looked at ideas from professional freelance inventing companies. If you went into Mattel, Hasbro, Fisher-Price today with a toy, they wouldn't even look at it. Because you know, you say you stole my idea. So they deal today with probably twenty or thirty professional toy inventing companies, and that's pretty much what our business mm-hmm. model was. Yeah. yeah. But yes, yeah, to answer your question, you play with toys all day long. 
okay? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I, I did this for 41 years, you know, and it was it was fun every day. I mean, it was it was really, a, uh, you know, we had a machine shop and the machines were painted not gray, but red, blue, yellow, green, you know, machines. You know, I mean, everything. We had a, bins of broken parts and toys. And if you didn't have an idea, you went to the bin and took a few things and tried something. You know, I mean, and, and that's what it was. And, and what, what Marvin did that we did long after Marvin was gone, creative people are not, do not become creative because you pay them more money. You can't say, okay, I'm going to give a big raise and be more creative. They, they work for a different reason. They, they work for the acceptance of it, mm-hmm. of, of their ideas. And what Marvin did early on, if you worked for two, three days and you had a mock-up of an idea, he let you bring it in the conference room to pitch it to the president of a toy company. And if the president of a toy company says, that's terrific, you were inspired. If he says, that's terrible, you went back and did something else. Okay? So he believed that you got to hear it right from the, the horse's mouth, so to speak. And, and the praise is what keeps you going. Okay? That's what it is. That's what makes you more creative. And, and creativity, I believe, is also built on deadlines, okay? Mm-hmm. You're writing a book, a play, a movie. A, there's, there's deadlines. And, and if we knew a client was coming in in a week, you're busy. Because if the client came in and left and you didn't go into that conference room with an idea of yours, you better believe you were gonna, that, that was the driving force for being creative. And I still believe that in all aspects of creativity, it's, it's pressure. Mm-hmm. Deadlines in, in in a driven. You, you can't have somebody every day. You have to ebb and flow. But I, I firmly believe that 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 type of pressure of approval or disapproval of what you've done is what drives creativity. You write a song. It's a terrible song. You write another song. Okay. <laughs> uh, you you mentioned Marvin Glass and, and yes. you, you also talk about or at least reference the the really tragic event that happened uh, there in the in, in the building what I can't imagine but that had to have had a profound impact on on everyone in the in the company well I, look what happened the other day in Buffalo I mean yeah. it is the sad part is that it, it continues to happen I mean it's just you know I don't, I don't want to go down that road but you know this was a guy who worked for us for seven years you know quiet guy minded his own business nobody had any idea I mean it was it wasn't somebody who came in off the street, you know, and and what was quite shocking to me at the time was that, you know, we had a week of funerals, and and about half the people who worked for me went to his funeral. I I did not. I mean, I you know, but but people said that wasn't the guy we knew, you know. So it happened someplace else, but it happened in a you know in a toy facility of all places, you know. I mean, it just uh, was quite. Quite traumatic, and it was you know I was thirty three years old. It was a long, long time ago. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned that you know for every ninety five percent of things fail, and you get the ones that, that hit. Uh, over your career, has there been a toy or, or, or a couple of toys that just really shocked the heck out of you? That's like we never thought that would do anything. Well, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean there are. It, it's you know, and, and and some of it is really things that that we didn't even do. Okay. First of all, all the huge hits, okay, in the toy industry, okay, and this is a broad generalization, uh, were things that people would have never thought. Cabbage Patch was turned down by every major doll company, okay? Every doll company said, ugly doll, 
You can't make everyone different. Never sell, okay? Rubik's Cube, $10 for a puzzle. Puzzles, $2. Never sell, okay? Trivial Pursuit, okay? $40 for a box of game questions. Nobody's going to buy it. I can go down the list. Even Barbie, when it came out, a doll with breasts and tiny little feet, mothers would not let their, you know. So you, you have to do something that's audacious. You, you can't just do what everybody's doing. You've got to come up with something that breaks the mold, you know, and, and that, that's how it works. And, and it's the same way in other areas of creativity, you know. I mean, movies, films, I can give you the same sort of examples. That it sounds like a terrible idea for a film, you know, but it's a terrific film, okay? So that, that's part of being creative, to, to stretch and reach out beyond what, what you think is possible. And, and that's, that's some of the fun of it, you know. And it, uh, but, you know, most of the time we had a really good feeling for something. But you, you like an idea, three, four clients turn it down. It's like, okay, I'm drunk. I better back into it. You know, <laughs> if enough people tell you you're drunk, you're probably drunk. Go on to something else. So you can believe in it, but somehow it's not at the right time, at the right place, the right whatever. I mean, there's all reasons why that is. But uh, that, that's, that's part of the fun. Yeah. Is that there's something unexpected that, gosh, I and why didn't I think of that one? Okay, <laughs> you know, that's what it is. I, I, and, and the other thing is uh, creating a toy, it's a combination of, of idea and execution, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's a combination of pretty much a good idea and a good execution. Sometimes ideas are pure, okay? Hula hoop. Anybody could have made that thing, okay? It could have been bigger, smaller, and not. You know, there was nothing in the execution of that thing. It was just a brilliant idea. Anybody could have made it, okay? There are other ideas. Rock'em, sock'em robots you mentioned. Mm-hmm. If you had the idea, okay, have two robots fighting in a ring, boxing each other, and one head pops up, that idea is worthless. It's the guy, Bert Meyer, my partner who made that thing, even before I was there, was a genius, okay, to, to make it work. So there is a case, two extremes. Rock'em Sock'em wasn't much of an idea. Two boxers in the ring, it was how it was made. Okay. You know, so, and everything is pretty much in a combination of both of those things. That's all. Yeah. It was funny, you, you mentioned Cabbage Patch Kids. We just recently took our granddaughter to the Cabbage Patch headquarters in, in Georgia. <laughs> and it just, it was like a walk down memory lane. I'm thinking, gee, like you say, who would have thunk? It, it's, yeah, I know. And mothers waited in line at six in the morning. We're fighting each other in the store. I mean, this was something, you know. Yeah, you had to have one for your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and other things, GI Joe at the time. No, mm-hmm. nobody's going to play with a boy doll, you know. I mean, really. And look what it did. It was fantastic. So again, I, there's there's tons of examples of it. And I'm repeating myself. But that's what the fun is. That's what yeah. made me do it for 41 years, and, and pretty much love it every day. Obviously, you know, creativity has an ability to to, um, to express that and, and, and utilize that has been you know, part and part and parcel with um, with with your career. Um, did, is that same um, motivation that that you know sparked all the creativity in you? Does, um, does that apply to? Can that apply to to just other people in other industries in terms of? Well. Yes. Okay. I mean, but, but I'm saying uh, I'm, I'm kind of focusing on the entertainment. Mm-hmm. Okay. There certainly is creativity in, 
in medical equipment and supplies today, what they're building, uh, you know, I mean, biomedical engineering is an incredibly creative field. I mean, to build something that replaces a part to do. So there's a lot of creativity in business that has nothing to do with the entertainment world. I mean, who comes up with that idea? Who comes up with a way to, uh, you know, who comes up with a machine like a, you know, That that can look at soft tissues in a giant magnet. I mean, I mean, so there's huge amount of creativity in other areas. You know, I'm I'm just focused on my own. But I think that creativity, whether it's a new way of counting, a new whatever, a new currency. I mean, who would have thought bitcoins would be? You know, I mean, it's pretty creative uh, in 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 many ways. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that creativity goes way beyond just the entertainment world that I was in. Yeah. How would you assess the the toy industry right now? Are there still great ideas out there? Has it has it, has well, the idea changed so much to, now that's that it's different uh, than what it was? It's different than it was, and, and I'll give you the ways it's different. And, and the first way is that we lose our consumer at an earlier age. He's got a cell phone, he's got a pad, he's got a video game. So uh, you know, ten and twelve year old kids would be playing with board games and other things, but there's so much more that is available to them. So the huge, first big huge change in the toy industry is the competition of other products that appeal to young people, okay? There's still a big toy industry out there, but it's gotten smaller, okay? Second big change is the consolidation of the companies. I mean, uh, when I started, there was Milton Bradley, Parker Brothers, but a lot of these big companies like Hasbro, like Mattel, have bought up smaller companies. So there ends up being fewer major toy manufacturers out there. Next big change is in the retail business, okay? There was Toys R Us, there was other toy stores. Now there's Amazon, it's the biggest toy store. So you can't walk into Toys R Us, walk up and down the aisles and see things. So you're not, it's not as much hands-on for the choice as it is today, you know? And and at one time, TV advertising was very popular for Mm -hmm. toys. Mm -hmm. It's gotten very expensive. So th- those are the changes, but there still is the vibrant toy industry out there, you know, but, but it's not what it was a long time ago. It's just different. Your book has been so in- in- enjoyable for me. Just, it, I guess it's just looking back. I, I know it just sparks memory. You, you mentioned toys in the toy store. I mean, that, that was one of the highlights of the week. We did every, all our chores. We got everything done. We did it, and either grandma or mom right. or dad, we went to the toy store, and we got to go up and down the aisles and look at the stuff and play with the things. And, and of course, we always walked out with something. But yeah. <laughs> it was just so much a part of, so ingrained in, in, in life. And I just don't think, it's just, yeah, that's just, like you say, it's, it's different today. It's different. <laughs> different. What do you hope that, that folks that hear this and, and pick up the book and, and read about your experiences, what do you hope they take away well, you know, going back to the impetus for doing this thing, it, it was the idea of the book. My father's father uh, came from Kiev. At that time, it was Kiev, but he came from Russia at 17 in the early 1900s. He was put on a boat by his family, sent to this country, okay, because things were so bad in the so- in Russia, not even the Soviet Union, Russia at that time. And, and so this was my father's father. And uh, he taught me how to drive. I went fishing with him. He was, you know, he taught me how to pack things in the factory. He was terrific. I never asked him about his life, okay? 
he he died on my 21st birthday and and i and i said why didn't i talk to him about more you know why didn't i how was it how did you leave blah, blah. so i about five years ago when i started having grandsons i have four grandsons now uh and they're 14 12 9 and 6 and i said i'm gonna write i have a very interesting life <laughs> designing toys playing with games i'm gonna write a book okay for them Okay, and and they're not asking me uh, about my career or anything else. You know, I hang out with them. We do things together. You know, I mean, we play we play games. We play with toys, but there's not an interest in in that. So that was the that was the impetus for writing it. Okay, so it, it, and when I started with my fourth editor, okay, the first three didn't work out. Uh, she said, "This has potential way beyond your family." You know, and and I thought about it. If, if I got on an airplane, okay, and I sat next to somebody, okay, I always ask them about their career, okay? Mm-hmm. What do you do? I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm an accountant, okay? Now is the my turn. What do you do? I'm a toy designer. You're a toy designer. You're kidding. <laughs> you, make, you make a living doing this? Blah, blah, blah. So I would tell people when I hired them, you have a very interesting career ahead of you. People are going to be interested in what you're doing, okay? They're, they're going to ask you questions, okay? And, and so, you know, so... Just your fascination with the cover, the, the idea of the cover is everybody knows something on there. It's not like I'm telling you I have a, a little better life. But what I hope they take away is that you can have a, have a career in spite of tragedy, in spite of other things, that fulfills you very much. I, I think that most people have a terrific potential somewhere. They just haven't found it. They, they got married. They have a family. They're doing a job they don't like, but they can't change careers. They... You know, I was very fortunate to find something very early on that I was very good at. And I think that people should keep looking. Don't don't be satisfied. If you're doing something every day, you get up and it's not something you want to do. There's something you can do, okay, that, that will make your life joyful for yourself. And, and, and part of it is, part of the book is to try and encourage people to find something that brings them joy. I mean, how, how lucky? I did 41 years. I loved every day of it. I mean, is that, it's crazy, you know? But but you, you, you can find something that, you know, success. You get up in the morning, you go to bed at night, and in between you do something you love. You're successful, okay? You don't measure success just on your bank account. I, I have some very close friends that are doing something they didn't want to do because a father died, they had to go in the family business, they make a ton of money, it's not, you know, it, it, it's not a thing to do with your life. If you, and, and you should always keep looking. It's never, it's never, listen, I'm a, I'm a full-time sculptor now. You know, I, the R word, the other thing I want people to come away with is the R word should not be in your vocabulary. Okay. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's an ugly word. Okay. I don't know if you remember uh, Paul Bryant, Okay, mm-hmm. University mm-hmm. of Al- Alabama coach. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who was at the university, a teacher down there. He said Paul Bryant ran the university. Okay, not the president. And when he retired from football, 1973, he paid, played Illinois and they beat us in Illinois publicly. Paul Bear Bryant said, "I'm done with football. I have nothing left to live for." And he died within a month. Okay, you have to have something to look forward to every day. And and, and whether it's I don't want to use the word hobby. But, but do something that you love and enjoy. Uh, and, and if you can figure out how to make money at it, that's, that's even better. 
you know. But that's not that that's not where success is. Success is is being able to do something that you really love to do every day, and you're successful. That's author, toy designer, and former toy industry CEO Jeffrey Breslow. His new book is A Game Maker's Life. For this edition of In the Author's Voice, I'm Jeff Williams.